from Mark chapter 9. We read the story of Jesus and his disciples not long after he was transfigured before them on the mountaintop. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about along the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another, Who was the greatest? Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking the child in his arms, Jesus said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, please. God, all things bright and beautiful, everything, creatures great and small, you made us all. And in your love, You continue to speak to your people, so during this time of instruction, may it be you and your spirit that speaks to us. We pray in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going in a few weeks to uh, Macedonia. I'm sorry, to Morocco. I went to Macedonia years ago. Um, to Morocco uh, in northwestern Africa. And as a result, I'm going to be missing the, my 40th high school reunion, the 40th anniversary of the graduating class of 1972 of Fairmont West High School of Kettering, Ohio. Our motto, sin, smokes, sex, and brew, we're the class of 72. So I'm really disappointed to not get with those guys again. I just ran across a graduation gift that I was given when I finished high school, a little book called Hope for the Flowers. Now, if you're a high school boy, the last thing you want is a book, is a gift with words. Um, This one had lots of pictures, but it also had words. It's a story of a caterpillar named Stripe. Stripe was uh, living an okay life, but one day he looked up and saw other caterpillars all headed the same direction. What's going on, he asked. Where, where are they going and what are they seeking? Maybe they're looking for what I'm looking for in life. So he joins the parade of people and they come upon a mountain that caterpillars from all directions have come to, and they're climbing up this mountain. What's at the top, asks Stripe. 
I don't know, said the caterpillar next to him, but everyone is in a rush to get there, so they start up the mountain, wiggling and squirming, climbing and kicking, pushing and straining. Eventually, one of them says, you know, we're not going to get any higher up this mountain unless we get rid of those people who are ahead of us. And so the climb to the top becomes a kind of competition. It's either climb or be climbed on. Stripe is almost to the top. When he hears another caterpillar say, there's nothing up here. There's nothing up here. Quiet, said another caterpillar. They'll hear you down below and they want to get where we already are. And Stripe freezes. He realizes there's not even a mountain here. It's just a mass of caterpillars all trying to get to the top. It's a caterpillar pillar. And they are all trying to get to the top. He freezes because he realized there's nothing worse than being so high and not being high at all. It only looks good from the bottom. Well, had I bothered to read that as a 17-year-old boy, I'm sure I would not have gotten it, much less a 57-year-old boy, because especially at 17, I aspired to be an achiever, a young urban achiever, proud we all of our, all, are of all of them, so that even when I went into the ministry, which, which was a huge shock to uh, my classmates back at Fairmont West, I packed up all of that ambition that they had built into us, all those aspirations to do good and to achieve and acquire. I I packed them all up in a duffel bag along with this book called Hope for the Flowers. And I went off to join the disciples following after Jesus. We trekked through Galilee. We made our way back to Capernaum. It was great fun listening to Jesus' stories, watching the miracles happen, enjoying a bit of the residual glow of Jesus' fame, uh, Kind of being a little minor celebrity. I don't know if you know this, but in some circles, being a minister is actually kind of cool or something interesting. I know it's hard to imagine. But I was trying to be a good minister, to do my best, to achieve. Uh, We ministers weren't as brazen as those first disciples. We didn't actually argue over who's the greatest. I mean, we may be... Naive and zealous, but we're not tacky. (laughs) But we all work to be the greatest, don't we? In our own particular world, in our own sphere, don't we all try to win? All try to stand out, all try to claim our particular ranking, all try to prove ourselves? I mean, it's natural. The earliest story of the Bible is the story of Adam and Eve. They had everything, and yet they wanted a little bit more. They wanted to ensure their place and their their greatness. And then along comes Cain and Abel, and they're competing and fighting with each other. And Jacob and Esau, down through the story it goes. 
Someone left me a, an article this morning from The Atlantic about a recent Harvard study that suggests that our, our self-focus actually has a kind of physical component to it. They actually took MRIs of 212 people as those people talked about themselves. And what they found was interesting. They found out that as people talked about themselves, it activated the mesolimbic dopamine system of your brain so that your brain gets a reward when you talk about yourself. It's kind of physically built into us to try to focus on ourselves. The article suggests perhaps that's why people love Facebook and Twitter so much. For unlike ordinary conversation where people talk about themselves 30-40% of the time, on Facebook the average is more like 80% of the time. It feeds us and we love it. It's built into who we are. And so our culture rewards success. It rewards pastors who are successful and churches that are successful and businesses that are successful and athletes and politicians and even nations that are successful get the most stuff. And it becomes, as a result, just by virtue of the world we live in, a preoccupation, a kind of obsession with success to validate ourselves and prop ourselves up and to win. Occasionally when we were with Jesus, we'd have these intensive teaching times. Mark describes one. They enter the area and Jesus doesn't want anyone to know that they're there because he wants to talk to the disciples. He gets him aside and says, listen, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into human hands. He's going to be betrayed and killed and on the third day rise again. And if you're following in the Gospel of Mark, you know this isn't the first time this has come up. In fact, if you were here last Sunday, you heard the Gospel reading where just after Simon Peter had declared of Jesus, you are the Christ, Jesus tries to teach them. Here's what this means. The Son of Man will be delivered into human hands. He'll be betrayed. He'll he'll be killed and after three days rise again. And you know how Simon Peter, the one who had just said these great words, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Rebukes him. Because this message that Jesus wants to convey to these disciples just doesn't work. They don't get it. I didn't get it either. I was learning to be a minister. We learned Greek, learned a tiny bit of Hebrew. We learned how to compare the four Gospels together. We learned how to interpret Scripture, write a sermon. We learned how to do church administration. We learned church history. We learned about different heresies, how people understand Jesus wrongly. We learned about the docetics, how they said Jesus didn't really die. He didn't really suffer. And how the church said that's heresy. 
And then we learned about the Gnostics who said that only the human part of Jesus suffered, but that the divine part of him was untouched. And the church said, well, that's heresy. And we learned all these things, but we also learned our own form of what I would suggest to us today is a kind of heresy. And that is to reduce the story of Jesus to a formula where we talk every week about him dying on the cross, but it becomes simply a way for us to believe in it so that we get to go to heaven when we die. We don't really grasp the message and the meaning that he kept wanting these disciples to understand. The why. Why did he come? What is he calling us to do when he says, come and follow me? Why? It just felt counterintuitive. It certainly feels countercultural. And it feels counterproductive. It doesn't produce anything. The disciples are afraid to ask him, Mark says. Maybe they're afraid because they don't want to appear stupid, like the kid in the class who doesn't understand but won't raise her hand or his hand. Or maybe they just don't want to interrupt the flow of the teaching. Or maybe they're afraid of not knowing the answer and that the teacher will be mad, or maybe they fear what they do understand. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the gospel that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand that bother me. To understand this counterintuitive, countercultural, counterproductive gospel that says whoever would be first of all must be last of all and servant of all. Well, it just doesn't make any sense. That's why we come in here week after week. Not to just simply repeat the same old thing, but it's because this way, this truth, this life we're being called into is countercultural. We have to be reformed as new people, living our life out of a different orientation. And we know this. Something within us knows that there's more to the teachings of Jesus and the cross of Jesus than just letting Jesus do it. Letting Jesus die on the cross and us just standing off to the side and saying, yes, we believe in that. We know that. We know that Jesus died on the cross to save me from our sins. Says it somewhat but omits so much. It masks the hard lesson of Jesus that you and I are called each Sunday to live into. That has an importance not just for the saving of our souls, but really for the saving of the world we live in. The epistle of James says these sources of conflicts, all this envy and fighting and strife, 
Where does all this come from? James answers his own question. It comes from your cravings. You're wanting more. You're wanting to prop yourself up. You have a desire to have and win, and it ends in disputes and murder and war. And we think, well, I didn't intend that. These hard, often repeated teachings of Jesus come back to us. The invitation, the call to live in a different way. In that little book, Hope for the Flowers, Stripe recalls hearing something about flying. Flying. He'd never seen it. He'd certainly never done it. And so he had dismissed it early in the book. But he realizes as he's at the top of this caterpillar pillar that the only way that he's going to get where he feels called to go, he'll never get there by climbing. He'll only get there by flying. To enter a whole new world. But the only way to fly is to become a butterfly. Something he's never experienced before. And the only way to become a butterfly is to believe on this side of the experience that you can be transformed from a woolly worm to something new by dying, by entering the cocoon and trusting to see what would happen. To die is to move from our way to Christ's way, the way of serving and healing and blessing and being humble and loving. Someone wrote, no matter which spiritual path you pursue, no matter which spiritual path you pursue, the nuts and bolts of transformation wind up looking pretty much the same. Surrender, detachment, forgiveness, love. Christians, Buddhists, Jews, Muslims, all must go through the same eye of the needle to get to where your true heart lies. That's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson. Do do we believe this? My friend Matt Brown sent me an email this week a quotation from that great theologian, Jimi Hendrix, who, who said, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. I've quoted it before. It's a great line. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. I wrote him back, hey, that's what my sermon's about on Sunday. He wrote me back. That's what three-fourths of your sermons are about. (laughs) Which reminds me of a story. 
of the pastor who came before a search committee to preach a trial sermon. He delivered a sermon. It was wonderful. They called him to be the pastor. The church was so excited on that first Sunday when they all gathered together to hear the new pastor's very first sermon. He got in the pulpit and he delivered the very same sermon that he had delivered a few weeks earlier before the search committee. The very same sermon. The committee looked at each other and thought, well, that's a little odd, but it was a great sermon, so I'm glad he delivered it to our church. The second Sunday came along. The pastor got in the pulpit. He preached the very same sermon. The committee thought to themselves, did he pick up the wrong set of notes? Or was he just too busy on this first full week of work to, to write a new sermon? That's kind of odd. The third week when he got in the pulpit and preached the very same sermon, the committee was not amused. They met him at the door and said, Pastor, we've heard this same sermon from you four weeks in a row now. He said, you're right, you have. And when you take to heart the message of this first sermon, I'll move on to the next sermon. These are hard lessons. For those of us who have hard heads and sometimes hard hearts, that's why we're together. Let's pray. Spirit of God, Please allow these familiar words of Jesus to penetrate another layer of our thick hearts and heads that we today might live more fully into your way, your truth, your life, for your sake and the sake of this world that you so loved. Amen.